Oh, hello. Let me add my welcome to John's and those we've heard already today. My name's Anil. I'm the Associate Minister here at Christchurch. As we begin, I just want to say that uh, in my short sermon today, uh, some of what I say is likely to sound quite strong uh, and likely to be uncomfortable for all of us listening at some point. I've tried to write my talk recognising that there are uh, families present and uh, some of what I do say will inevitably go over the heads of some of our younger uh, listeners today. Uh, and it's likely that much of what is said uh, you'd like to discuss together as a family as you think through and work out uh, how do we follow Jesus as a family if you're uh, listening with others. I do recognise as well that uh, in this short 15 minutes or so uh, I can only really scratch the surface even of this uh, short passage. As I wrestle with this passage uh, this week, if I'm honest, there are parts of it that I found very uncomfortable and wonder if they were too controversial to preach out loud. But then I remembered that these are Jesus' words, that he is our shepherd and we are his flock, that we who believe need to hear his voice and obey his commands. So with that, please bow your heads to pray. Father God, by your spirit, uh, work in and through us, empowering us with your love to love our enemies. Amen. If you've been following along in our sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you'll remember that a couple of weeks back I preached on righteousness from Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 to 20. And I encouraged us from that passage to practice and teach what Jesus commands, uh, to live righteously for him. Now from uh, that verse there, verse 17, all the way through to the end of our scripture today, verse 48, this whole section has been Jesus teaching his disciples and those who follow him today what a righteous life looks like uh, by looking at different angles and facets of it, uh, getting to a core eternal truth that lies at the heart. Uh, when we sift through our verse today, eye for eye and hate our enemies, what is the core eternal truth we find left in our sieves? Well, actually, in this passage, we find most gloriously the heart of the gospel, because today God will show us through his word that God's children love their enemies. God's children love their enemies. I don't know about you, but for me, this is probably the hardest part of Jesus' whole sermon, because for me, it attacks my sense of justice, of fairness of retribution. Uh, back in verses 21 to 26, Jesus spoke about our anger. Uh, there Jesus was talking about people uh, you've had a minor disagreement with, think something like uh, road rage or a falling out you might have had on a playground or Facebook. But here Jesus has two specific kinds of people in mind. Firstly, in verses 38 to 42, Jesus speaks about evil people. And then in the second half, 43 to 48, Jesus speaks about our enemies. Those are both very strong, very emotive words, aren't they? An evil person, our enemies. And how does Jesus tell us to treat them? Without retaliation, but with love. It got me thinking, is this even possible? doesn't feel like it is in the world right now, does it? But remember, God's children 
love their enemies. Right now, there is a growing anger sweeping across our world. Can you feel it? Just a few weeks ago, our nation's hate was turned against what seemed to many to be an enemy from within, as our MPs told us to live one way while seemingly choosing to live another way. Now, I'm not getting into uh, the rights and wrongs of what Dominic Cummings did or should have done, uh, but it's very obvious, isn't it, uh, that for a brief period of time, and perhaps even now, he has become uh, public enemy number one in our country. And in this last week, uh, we have once again seen the face of evil as police brutality in America has led to yet another tragic death. Enemies, evil people. How should we respond to these acts of evil? How should we treat our enemies? Well, what does Jesus say? Uh, firstly, I should say that the evil person here pictured uh, isn't the devil, but it's someone who greatly wrongs or offends you. And to help us out, Jesus gives some examples of what these evil acts look like. Uh, the first, uh, being slapped, uh, which in this context seems to have something to do with making someone feel ashamed or making them look bad instead of actually being a, a physical fight. Uh, so uh, this might today be like when uh, those children on the playground whisper behind your back, uh, spreading nasty rumours and lies about you, uh, trying to make your friends not like you anymore. Jesus says about uh, getting sued unfairly, which uh, might be like when your neighbour uh, pushes through the courts an unfair boundary dispute on your property. Jesus says about being forced to go a mile, which uh, is kind of like being told by an authority to do something you have no choice over. Now, I think we're all facing uh, a lot of this in lockdown right now, aren't we? Being told to do something that we have no choice over. And finally, Jesus mentions a persistent beggar. That might be like a family member who keeps asking you for help or for money. What is Jesus telling his disciples and all of us who follow him today, his disciples now, to do in these circumstances and, and others like them? Well, like the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this is really simple. But it's also really hard. Simply, Jesus is commanding us not to resist them, not to retaliate. Can you see why I flinched? when I came to prepare my sermon this week. How do I encourage you, the flock here at Christchurch, a church I love, to follow Jesus? By asking you not to retaliate more than that, I am telling you that this is a command from the Lord Jesus himself. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Doesn't your sense of justice demand some form of response to these evil doers? Because just to be clear, Jesus is not denying the fact that these people are evil and he's not condoning their actions. They are evil actions and these are real enemies. But in spite of this, Jesus commands his disciples not to retaliate, not to resist them even. Yes, we can and often should get the law involved because the Bible tells us that God has appointed our government to ensure safety and the protection of the people. That's the right thing to do. But Jesus is telling us not to take the law into our own hands, not to seek our own justice. Uh, one commentator, John Stott, summarised it like this. What Jesus demands 
of all his followers is a personal attitude to evildoers, which is prompted by mercy, not justice, which renounces retaliation so completely as to risk further costly suffering, which is governed never by a desire to cause harm, but always by the determination to serve the highest good. This is radical, isn't it? I mean, look at the usual response we see in the world around us to any number of scandals or abuses or mistreatments. This is radical. I think that's the point. Christian living is radical. Christian living is radically different to every other person in the world around us. Our priorities, our principles, our choices are all radically different, or at least they should be if we claim to follow Jesus. That's what the second half of this passage is getting at. The radical countercultural call on a Christian to submit all their will, desire and natural tendencies to how Jesus calls us to live now. Loving our enemies without retaliation, but with love. God's children love their enemies. I want to read to you some words that Dr. Benjamin Mays read out at the funeral of Martin Luther King Jr. He was a close friend and read a eulogy and that summarised to me the life, the, sorry, uh, what this sort of life looks like. He said this, If any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House bombed, living day to day for 13 years under constant threats of death maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere, stabbed by a member of his own race, slugged in a hotel lobby, jailed over 20 times, occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him. And yet, this man had no bitterness in his heart, no rancour in his soul, no revenge on his mind. And he went up and down the length and breadth of the world preaching non-violence and the redemptive power of love. God's children love their enemies. Martin Luther King might be a great example for us, a model of restraint and love in place of retaliation, an example of one of God's children living out their father's call to love their enemies. But King should not be who we copy or look to because King was only looking to and copying his King, our King, King Jesus who found himself blindfolded, struck and beaten, who was falsely accused, who was stripped of all his clothing, who was forced to carry his own cross and who gave everything he can, all of himself, generously to his enemies without holding anything back. Paul, one of Jesus' followers, writing in Romans chapter 5 verse 10, says that while we, you and I, were God's enemies, Jesus died for us. How can we love our enemies and pray for them without retaliating? Because we were far greater enemies of God. Our sins, our crimes against him were far worse than anything we can imagine. And yet, before we had a chance to do anything good about them, before we even had the thought to ask for forgiveness, Jesus died in our place, taking the full measure of the punishment for our sins, our crimes against God, whilst we were still his enemies. We, as God's children, have the power to love our enemies because Jesus, God's perfect and obedient child, his only son, loved us who were once his enemies. 
and maybe still are if we don't yet know him as Lord. Do you see how this passage is the gospel? This passage holds within it the good news of forgiveness of sins for those who turn to the Lord in repentance. It's simple. It's oh so simple. But yet it's unbelievably hard, isn't it? Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, wrote this about Jesus, quoting from the prophet Isaiah in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. He said this, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He quotes, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Then continues, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus, who had the power to call down an angelic army to stop the unjust assault that he was facing, didn't. Because he trusted that his father will one day judge those who were harming him with perfect justice. Jesus, who whilst he was hanging on the cross, prayed forgiveness for the very people who had hung him there leaving judgment, leaving retaliation to his father God. We as God's children have the power to pray for our enemies because Jesus, God's perfect and obedient child, his only son prayed for us who were once his enemies. It's simple, but it's so hard. It's hard to pick up our cross and follow Jesus every day, isn't it? But this is the radical life of love God calls all his people to live. God's children love their enemies because God's perfect child, Jesus, loved us, you and I, who were once his enemies. It is in response to this abundant love, grace and mercy so freely given to us that by the power of his spirit within us, we can have the strength to love in this way. Jesus closes this section by saying in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to live out this calling, not relying on your own abilities and strength, but crying out for and clinging on to his spirit within you in prayer. And when you find this unbearably hard and when you stumble and fail, remind yourself that he, Jesus, has done all this for you. Praying for forgiveness, knowing that he has already given it to you you and I, who were once his enemies. Amen.